All right, welcome back to Made Arbitration. And and you wanted the best, you got the best. Do you know what that's from? You wanted the best, you got the best. Do you know what, who what intro that's from? I've heard it. I can't think of it though. You that's because you're too young. That's Kiss. You wanted the best, you got the best. Anyway, see, that's what happens when you deal with, with young folk. They don't know things like that. But uh, <laughs> y'all asked for him. He's back, JB. He's going to be handling quarterly overtime grievances, one of the more entertaining. and and uh, <laughs> But it's one of the most asked about uh, things that I, I deal with is quarterly overtime. So he's going to do that. And he's a distinguished guest today because he's going to be doing the last episode of the year. There will not be another episode for the remaining of the year. So that'll be, what, two weeks? But uh, I'll talk about that uh, after he's done. I'll get into that uh, more in depth. But So JB's here in studio. He's going to talk about quarterly overtimes. And uh, this, like I said, is is one of the two that's the most asked about. So it's a good time for it. It's the end of December, and and y'all be uh, getting your quarterly overtimes together. And this is something that Branch Four's been successful in. He does a has a very good formula that he'll go over to help you out, and some sites. But with that being said, my distinguished guest, my brother. The Ayatollah of Rock and Roller, <laughs> Mr. Jason Leith, is here. You ready? Ready. All right. Well, what an introduction that was. Uh, uh, my brother's never short uh, of an introduction or accolades, for that matter, and just showing his appreciation for somebody, and I, I do appreciate that. Appreciate being back out here in not only the luxurious studio, but the Christmas has thrown up in here studio. It, it is decorated. We have our tree. We got the lights. We got uh, baskets. We got everything sitting around here. So what a what a good time of year to come out and do an episode. And I do appreciate the the warm introduction. I appreciate the uh, the thoughtfulness as far as you know accomplishments. But let me let me refrain from uh, an individual saying the best. You know we've been very very successful with quarterly overtime grievances. It's been something that is grieved every quarter in my installation. I have 16 city stations and every quarter I know between four to six stations that are going to not only address their quarterly overtime issues, but they have violations every single quarter. And even though management's been given numerous instructions and admin training, OT admin tool that they utilize, they still just manage to screw it up. So that's also a testimony to, to good stewardship. Also just putting together a, a case file that's ready to go and a DRT. If it goes past the formal step A, our DRT representative has been good at being able to identify the violations in our case file. And unfortunately, some of those have been gone to a pre-arbitration settlement. We haven't had one go to arbitration, but numerous, numerous DRT, pre-arbitration settlements, formal step A resolutions, those things. So, um, I believe you're as good as your last grievance. I've always tried to tell individuals I'm very humble, but in the same breath, I'm very, very hungry. 
I think that's a good approach for an individual to stay humble and hungry. We're always, like I said, just as good as the last grievance because very few times people will remember what you've done. They're always wanting to know what you're fixing to do. So that's a good approach to, to that. But I do appreciate the you know, compliment and being able to come out here and speak to y'all. It is almost the end of the quarter, so it won't be long. We'll be pulling these clock rings, and we'll be distinguishing if we have an equitability issue. I want to say thanks before we get started. Uh, allow me to say a few things. Bear with me. We're going to get to the education portion. We're going to get into our JCAM. We're going to go through how we identify quarterly uh, equitability issues. But since I have the opportunity, I want to say thanks. And I want to say thanks to the individuals that have reached out. I have received numerous, numerous emails. I've received things from Corey sent to me. And I do my absolute very, very best. I promise you, I probably have not been able to answer every single one and I try I really do if I've lost one in the wayside please forgive me but for those individuals that have kept in touch and I do get a chance to respond I do get a help to assist I can't tell you the motivation that you give me when you email back about your decision about your resolution about how you uh, was able to stop the problem and that is the ultimate motivation because to me this is what all this is about, helping other individuals to be able to fight the same fight. We are all spilling blood in the same mud, and so for an individual to reach out, to want to get the guidance, to want to get the education, and to be able to get that and utilize it, and to get a positive resolution to help them and their brothers and sisters, that is motivation tenfold. And I can't tell you how appreciative I am to be kept in that loop you know, I've always said on every episode, I believe, that if it just helps one individual, one individual learn something from this yokel sitting on this microphone and being able to speak, then it was beneficial to that person and it was beneficial overall. I'd be remiss if I didn't say Merry Christmas to everybody. I would like to say Merry Christmas to my LA 25 classmates haven't been forgotten. We still stay in touch. We have a group text message, and I look forward to each time hearing updates from those individuals, and they're out there doing great things. And what a blessing it was to be able to not only experience Leadership Academy, but to get to know these people. I feel blessed to be able to know each and every one of them, and they're spread out all over the country. But I want to wish them a Merry Christmas. I'd also like to tell the shop stewards once again, thank you for everything that you do in this Nashville installation. Without you, none of this is possible because they are the individuals on the workroom floor addressing and taking to task negative actions against our brothers and sisters. And I can't thank them enough for being as amazing as they are. I'll mention them by name. I have Audrey, I have Corey, I have Ron, I have Crosby, Jeremy, Hughes, Michael, Swicker, Angie, Noah, Melinda, Kevin, and Dewan. All of them have been kicking ass for the NALC and their brothers and sisters right here in my installation. And when they file a grievance, 
They have put together a, a tremendous case file. They've given me the guts and the everything that I need to put all the bows and ribbons on it at the formal step A. And that way I know when I slide my case file across that table to management at the formal A meeting, we are effectively handing management their ass and we're ready to get our remedy that we've requested. But without them, this would not be possible. So I can't thank y'all enough and I wish y'all all a very special Merry Christmas. All the Branch 4 associate offices, all the stewards out there, I do not deal with them. My branch president deals with them, but I'd like to thank them as well. Wish them a Merry Christmas. My branch president, she's brand new president. This is the first year of her term, and she's done an exceptional job. I mean, she's taken over a position that was held for 16 years and picked up right where it left off, and she has done nothing but try to take it to new links and been astronomically amazing at what she's been doing and so we appreciate that her leadership and handling all our branch four responsibilities and being there for each and every one of us without her uh, we'd be lost all my brothers and sisters out there i wish each and every one of you a very special merry christmas everybody in nashville everybody in the branch four associate offices and everybody out there you loyal listeners listening listen i've said this before and i'm gonna say it again I appreciate the truck drivers. I appreciate the mail handlers down at the plant. I'm thankful for the custodians that clean our buildings. I appreciate the clerks that distribute our mail in the morning. But nobody works harder than a letter carrier. Everybody from the postmaster general down owes you a thank you for the paycheck that they're sliding in their grubby pockets today. Because without us, there is no service in the United States Postal Service. Without you, there is nobody getting paid. We are the backbone of this service. We are the ones that bring home the bacon. We're the ones out there right now working in excess of 10, 11, 12, 14 hours to deliver Christmas to all over the country. But without you, none of this would be possible. Everybody, everybody owes you a thank you. And I certainly appreciate you. And I want to wish all of you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. So I wanted to get that out of the way before I forgot. By the time I get done with this episode, I usually get a little long-winded, tired, and I'm ready to head out the door and get home. But I wanted to get that out of the way. So thank y'all for all of this. Also, before we get started, uh just need to get something off my chest a little bit and again bear with me we're, we're definitely going to dive into it but i'm grieving uh, a couple days ago i lost a, a very good friend of mine uh, he's a buddy a pal an individual that was diagnosed with cancer back in february and lost that battle a couple days ago at the age of 45. Uh, my buddy brad he's not a letter carrier but it'll tie in to what I want to tell you at the end. This individual, when he was diagnosed, he did not want to know how long he had to live. He didn't want to know what stage he was at. The only thing he asked the doctors was, what do we do next, and how do we fight this, and when do we get started? That's the kind of individual Brad was. He was a very good friend of mine. And he will be deeply missed. 
but I wanted to talk about it because it's all I've been thinking about over the past couple days, and unfortunately, you know, I try to think about this episode a lot and have my material ready, but it's just really clouded my brain, but it made me reflect on our friendship. I got to know Brad in 2009. His daughter, my daughter, were the same age. My daughter, Emma, who I've mentioned before, who cracked the half-empty, half-full dilemma. They were the same age, and at the age of four, like most parents, we took our kids to the ballpark and signed them up to play softball. Brad coached another team, and me and my buddy coached a team. Both of our daughters were the same age, and so we competed against one another for several years. All three of our daughters were very good softball players. They've been blessed with athletic ability, and they made all-stars, and so that gave us another opportunity to really kind of hang out and get to know each other. Until one day, the three of us decided we need to take our girls and expose them to a higher level competition. The three of us got together, decided we would have a tryout for what a lot of people call travel ball, tournament ball, but ultimately creating a team and signing them up for tournaments across the state of Tennessee to go expose them to higher level competition to try to take their game to the next level. In the spring of 2014, we had a tryout. After five years of friendship, getting to know one another, hanging out with each other, and really becoming good buddies, spending a lot of time vacationing from time to time, we had a tryout, and we finally submitted an 11-lady roster, is what we said. And we were very, very excited. We had a lot of great talent on this team. A lot of young ladies that I already knew from our park, but a lot of ladies come from around the county and from other surrounding counties to play with us. And so we were very excited to get started, and we signed up, and we entered, I remember, nine tournaments that spring. We got to our first tournament, and we got shellacked. And I mean beat. And we're looking at each other stunned because I know we have ball players that are capable of playing at this level. They were talented. They had ability. They were very good. But they weren't gelling together as a team. And we went through our bumps and bruises throughout that spring. And over the course between spring and fall, I remember Brad getting together with myself and the other coach, and he said, we've got to change what we're doing and we discussed it one of the ideas was well do we need to have another tryout do we need to try to look and evaluate and maybe take the 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 two or three girls at the bottom of the roster and try to replace them with more talented girls that was one thought but it was Brad that said we have the talent right here we have What we need right here, what we have is a collective group of girls that have not perfected their respective position. We had a tryout where we took five girls that were capable of playing shortstop. We took four, three or four girls that were second basemen. And then we tried to spread them out in different positions and ask them to be an expert at that position, which they were not. They were unfamiliar with playing that position because they knew nothing about it. They had never played it. They had never experienced it. Most of these girls had never played outfield because they were so good 
at the infield at their recreational ball team that they never played outfield. And it was Brad that said, we need to change our format. We need to be developers. We need to show and train these girls and make them experts at their position. And we immediately adopted that mentality that we were going to develop these girls. We were going to make them fundamentally better. We were going to push them. We were going to one-on-one train them. We were going to show them how to be the best person and athlete that they could be at their respective position. I can't tell you how many times Brad would call me up after he'd been watching YouTube. I know we went to camps together. I know we spoke to other high school coaches, even collegiate coaches. And we tried to gather as much information, as much technique training, as many drills, as much as we could gather to be able to give this to these young ladies to make them the best that they could be. We went into the fall, a brand new team. And I remember it was the fifth tournament. We started collecting wins. We started getting trophies. We hadn't made it to that elusive championship trophy yet, but we were getting the third place finish or maybe the fifth place finish. And this is tournaments that consisted of 12 to 20 teams. And so we're, we're starting to dish out some ass whippings. And I remember there was three teams left. There was two teams left to go into the championship game. We had already slipped up and lost one in a double elimination, but we have a chance to win this game, to go into the championship game, and we won. And I remember going into that championship game, and we told the girls, this is your moment. This is what you've worked hard for. This is what you've applied yourself for. This is the blood, sweat, and everything that you've put into get to this moment right here. You deserve a reward for your hard work. We went out there, and the first game, it was back and forth. Finally, about the third inning, we had a breakthrough. We go up big, and I mean big. We had an explosive inning. We're up, and there's no run rule, so we're up by nine runs. We're going into the fifth inning, and I remember this team got hot, and they got hot quick. And the next thing I know, we're four runs up. We're three runs up. We're two runs. Now we're one run up. And I remember finally getting out of that inning, and we come back, and Brad said, girls, finish what you started. And we went on to win that game. And we went on to win the next one to win our first championship. And excuse me. his wife sent me the picture yesterday of that. And it just made me think about the hard work that we put into it But I remember what Brad said to the young ladies after the game. And it's got two points that tie in. One, these are 10-year-old girls, by the way. (laughs) But I remember him looking at these young girls and he said, anytime you got your foot on your opponent's throat and you got them down, don't you ever, ever give them an opportunity to get up. Don't ever take off the gas. And I remember them girls looking up like, Coach Brad, (laughs) wow, animated, but it's so true. We, as representatives, can never ever take our foot off management 
And I don't mean that in a violent sense. I mean that we have got to always be about that battle. And when we got them down, keep them down and keep them there. And that's what he was trying to um, illustrate to the young girls. When you got an opponent down, you keep them there. But second, what I take away from my buddy and what I always remember him for is he was about trying to teach somebody to be the best that they could be at what they wanted to be. And I think about Corey's State of the Union address and I think about our respective duties and if there's a listener out there that's in a prominent position, a leader in their branch, it is our due diligence, it is our responsibility to make sure that we are always paying it forward that we are doing everything and anything not only for the membership but for the up-and-comer that's gonna keep the cycle rolling that is what's going to help protect brothers and sisters is by paying it forward to the individual that's behind us the people that came in front of me bless them bless Corey for taking the time out to give me whatever he could give me my MBA's office for helping me with whatever they could help me with. My branch president for helping me with whatever I could help. My DRT representative for keeping me informed what he's seeing at that. Always constantly paying it forward and helping us be the best that we can be. Education is what this is about. It will always be what it's about. That's what Brad was about is educating these young ladies on perfecting their position. And we got to perfect the individuals that want to learn. Because guess what? They don't teach this shit in grade school. You can't sign up for handbooks and manuals at fourth block. It don't exist. The only way we learn is by educating ourselves, but other individuals help educating us and getting the training that we need to be the most effective badass that we could possibly be. I appreciate y'all listening to that. It was on my mind my buddy will definitely be missed, uh, way too young at 45, but he was definitely about that action as far as doing anything he could to help somebody else, and that's the message and the tie-in to this story. Well, that wasn't too bad. I appreciate y'all hanging with me. That was uh, uh, off the subject, 20-something minutes there, but I do appreciate it. So let's get into it, because I know y'all want to know. Corey has told me again. I'm not a. I don't. I'm not a social media butterfly, so I do not see anything other than what he sends me, or I may get from time to time uh, via email. But he's told me quarterly overtime has been uh, requested numerous times. Now, before I get started with quarterly overtime, I want to kind of preface this that this is how I do it. This is not the only way to do it. If you already have a method or your branch has a method or your president has given you a method to use and it's been effective, then by all means, that's an effective method for you. This episode is predominantly speaking to the individual that has zero. Zero experience with quarterly overtime, how to even begin, what we're supposed to be looking for, what we're going to evidence, excuse me, I got the hiccups, and how we're going to go about our burden of proof. Okay, so I need to establish that, hey, this is how I do it. 
the way I the reason I say that is because there is not a single definitive method out there that is the only way to evidence quarterly overtime grievances. So getting started, what is quarterly overtime and how are we going to kick management's ass when they don't distribute those opportunities and hours equally? Okay? First thing we're going to do, said it before, but we're going to go to our JCAM. That's our contract. That's our Bible. That's where we're going to get our provisions that we're going to be relying upon for this episode. Okay, so we go back to the index. And if you'll look under overtime, it's going to be right here on index page 20. You're going to see overtime. And as you scroll your finger down through there, you're going to see equitability. And it's going to prompt you to go to the JCAM page 8-11. So that's where we're going to get started on educating ourselves about what is quarterly overtime and what are the guidelines that management must follow. Going to be a little reading. I can't say that contract grievances are the most sexiest grievances. There's not a lot of passion that come through. Uh, Corey and I also oftentimes laugh about contract grievances. It's just so there's only so much passion in an arbitration hearing that you can get about overtime or about a contract grievance. And when the roles are reversed and when it's discipline, it's just, uh, it's all about the sale. It's all about the passion. It's all about getting the management's ass. And then you turn around and you come into a contract grievance and you just feel like it's, you know, I remember the movie Ferris Bueller where the guy's calling roll. It's just Bueller, Bueller. <laughs> it is, it is stagnant. But we want to get our method going and become experts at quarterly overtime grievances. So we get right here. 8.5.C.2 When, during the quarter, the need for overtime arises, employees with the necessary skills, having listed their names, will be selected from the overtime desired list. Okay, so the overtime desired list is going to dictate the individuals that are qualified to be able to perform overtime And it's going to determine the individuals that are eligible to make sure that the overtime was distributed equally and equitably amongst those individuals. Okay, now the overtime sign-up sheet on index page 20, if you look up signing overtime list, you'll see it will refer you to the previous page here on 8-9. The importance of an overtime sign-up sheet is it's going to evidence and indicate those people that have placed their names desiring overtime. They want to make extra money. That's the people that management should be given the extra work to. Those are the only individuals that should be coming in on their schedule day off. And at the end of the quarter, those are the individuals that we're going to check and see have been made equitable for opportunities and hours. What it says under 8.5a when it comes to overtime desire list is employees desiring to work overtime shall place their names on either the overtime desired list or the work assignment list during the two weeks prior to the start of the calendar quarter and their names shall remain on the list until such time as they remove their names from the list. Employees may switch from one list to another during the two weeks prior to the start of the calendar quarter and the change will be effective beginning that new calendar quarter. We're fixing to approach that two weeks that the JCAM is referencing. Okay, the last two weeks of December, management and your station should be posting in a prominent place 
an overtime sign-up sheet allowing those individuals who are desiring overtime in the first quarter of 2023 an opportunity to indicate their name and desiring the overtime. If management's not posting that list, you need to make them aware of it first, and if they refuse to, you need to file a grievance. It is a requirement upon management the first, I mean, the last two weeks of each quarter. There's four quarters, but at the each quarter, the last two weeks that they must post that overtime sign-up sheet. And that is going to be our playbook come January 1st when we move into the new quarter of 2023 of the individuals that qualify as being those on the overtime desired list. Also, you need to encourage your employees to identify what they like. I know a lot of employees, well, I'm not on the list. I'm never on the list. I don't sign anything. Well, go ahead and sign it. It's just good housekeeping. It's good business as a steward to have uh, an updated overtime sign-up sheet identifying each carrier's preference. Whether they've been on the list for three years or the work assignment only list for two years, just ask them. For, for good business, to allow me, the, uh, allow me to be the most effective shop steward, if you don't mind, just identify your overtime preference. And when the quarter starts, get a copy from management. Request a copy. Keep that. That's our moving paper. That's our document that we're going to have at the end of the quarter to be able to rely upon. And it could be useful throughout the quarter for daily overtime violations and other things. But we want our carriers to sign and make sure they identify properly the overtime that they desire or the non-overtime that they desire. Whatever list they prefer to be on, we want those individuals to be able to sign that. That way they're properly identified and we have a good copy of that. Let's go ahead and read the rest of the provisions here. Again, I'm picking up on 8-11. I'm now looking at 8.5.C.2b. During the quarter, Every effort will be made to distribute equitably the opportunities for overtime among those on the overtime desired list. Now remember that word in that, in that provision right there where it says distribute equitably the opportunities for overtime amongst those on the overtime desired list. Little c. In order to ensure equitable opportunities for overtime, overtime hours worked and opportunities offered will be posted and updated weekly. That's something that has changed. It used to not be weekly. It used to be quarterly, but now it's weekly. You're asking me, what does that mean? That means management, if the week ends on Friday, that means on Saturday, by the time clock or in a prominent position, I should be looking at a report that is identifying what management has determined the distribution of overtime opportunities and hours. That does not mean I agree with the shit. That only means they're required to do it. Make them do it. If they're not willing to do it, grieve it. File a grievance that they're not posting what they're required to post under this provision every week. Hold them accountable to their responsibilities. Don't be the individual. A lot of times management will come to a shop steward. I've had it happen numerous times. They want the shop steward to sign it as if they agree with it. I'm not signing anything. I, I could care less. If, if you don't want to post it, don't post it. I'm going to grieve it. If you post it, post it. But I'm not required to sign it, and I'm not going to sign it because I don't want that to be construed as that I'm in agreement with it. Okay? And that's just my position. That's personal. I'm just not signing anything. I don't have to. I'm not going to. But anyways, they're required to post that. 
Now, a lot of times it's been argued, I see by management's DRT representative, that we were in agreement all quarter long because we never filed a grievance on the hours that they posted weekly. First of all, that's a stupid-ass argument because I can't grieve a quarterly overtime grievance until the end of the quarter. I'm not going to grieve a weekly posting that I don't agree with. That's just what they're required to do. I may bring it to their attention, even by your own report, it looks like such individual here is lacking. I have shop stewards that have even been asked in some of my in some of my problem stations to do it by monthly, just as a review, a labor management meeting, to pull the clock rings, utilize the formula, have a meeting, what we see, what they see, and can we go ahead and start moving in a direction to make sure we're equitable. Whatever. If they want to pay one of my shop stewards on the clock to sit down and go ahead and review a month's worth of clock rings and then have a labor management meeting, great. If that could facilitate less grievances, great. But again, if they're not following the provision of 5.C.2.C, then grieve it and make them be accountable to hold and post that uh, equitability report. We'll continue on page 814. It'll pick up at little d. Recourse to the overtime desired list is not necessary in the case of a letter carrier working on the employee's own route on one of the employee's regular scheduled days. Little e. All overtime hours worked by and all opportunities offered to employees on the overtime desired list, regardless of whether the overtime slash opportunity is on or off the employee's own route, will be considered and counted when determining quarterly equitability. How many of y'all out there are thankful for that shit? I can't tell you how thankful I am for that. That language right there is directly from an MOU. It was a task force uh, before that, but that MOU come out in 2017, I believe, M document 1886, that changed quarterly overtime, only considering overtime worked off an individual individual's own assignment. So you want to talk about a tedious task of going through clock rings and only pulling the amount of hours that they worked on another assignment, not including the ones that they worked on their assignment, monumental change great great change made things tremendously easier when it come down to counting up the hours as far as equitability little f only overtime hours worked or opportunities offered beyond eight hours on a holiday or designated holiday will be considered and counted when determining equitability that's a, a key provision okay and what that provision means is there's two ways a letter carrier can be scheduled. They can be scheduled in accordance with Article 8, and they can be scheduled in accordance with Article 11. When a carrier works their scheduled day off, which is also identified as the holiday scheduling for an adjusted holiday, let's, use, let's just use President's Day, or no, Martin Luther King Day. We'll use Martin Luther King Day in January coming up. Is a Monday. So that Saturday is going to be the adjusted holiday and the holiday scheduling. Carriers will be scheduled in accordance with holi- I mean, with Article 11 for that Saturday prior to Martin Luther King Day. An individual that comes in that Saturday and that's his scheduled, his or her scheduled day off, 
those eight hours do not count towards equitability. Only the hours over eight. Now, for all other carries, it'll be the same. You know, the first eight hours is their regular schedule. Overtime after eight would be counted. The schedule day off carrier is making eight hours of overtime at the overtime rate, but it's not counted towards equitability. I hope that makes sense. It's so hard to illustrate things without a visual. But the day prior to the holiday, the holiday schedule, only hours worked over eight count towards equitability. My scheduled day off is Saturday, temporarily. But it's Saturday. So if I come in and work my scheduled day off, and let's say I work 10 hours, that is not 10 hours towards the quarterly. That's only two hours towards quarterly equitability. The first eight is in accordance with Article 11. The second two is in accordance with Article 8 towards equitability. Okay, cool. All right, so those are the provisions that outline quarterly equitability. 8.5.C.2, little a through f. It's going to start on page 8-11 of the JCAM. It's going to run through 8-14. Okay, so now we got the provisions. Now let's talk about that paragraph I wanted to go back to in little b. During the quarter, every effort will be made by management now. Every effort by management will be made to distribute equitable, <clears throat> equitable the opportunities for overtime amongst those on the overtime desired list. You'll see in your JCAM right below that block, it talks about equitable distribution of overtime opportunities. Seniority does not govern the availability of overtime work for those letter carriers who wish to work overtime. Okay, seniority does not prevail as far as who gets to work overtime. Nor is overtime distributed on a rotating basis. Rather, Article 8.5.C.2 provides that for those carriers who sign the overtime desired list, overtime opportunities must be distributed equitably, meaning fairly. This does not mean that actual overtime hours work must be distributed equally. But below that, we're going to get into National Arbitrator Bernstein's ruling on what management must do in determining equitable distribution of overtime. It's going to be the number of hours of overtime as well as the number of opportunities must be considered. Now, why is that? And I'm stealing this right out of his award, but that's because if I was given 10 eight-hour opportunities and another individual was given 10 one-hour opportunities, well, the opportunities were fair, right? Both of us had 10. But who's going to be the happy camper? The guy that's got 80 hours of overtime while this guy's got 10 hours of overtime. One guy was given 10 eight-hour opportunities while the other individual was only given 10 one-hour opportunities. There's going to be a huge difference there. So we must consider not only the opportunities being distributed equally, but also the hours must also be distributed equally. Now, I know Corey said many times, I'll say it again, uh, hate reading, but this is very much a part of why and what we must be educated on in the equitable distribution of overtime opportunities plus hours. So we're going to look at National Arbitrator Bernstein's ruling in case number C, 
1-800-227-6364. I'm not going to read the entire award, but I want to get into the award and go over it. On page one of the award, it states, In all five cases, the union grieved that the service at various specific locations had failed to discharge its contractual obligation to distribute overtime opportunities equitably. The union based its contention on quarterly overtime distribution reports showing a substantial disparity in overtime hours worked between the various carriers on the overtime desired list. For example, the union claimed a contractual violation because the report for the quarter ending March 31, 1982 at the Mesa Center, California station showed that the lowest carrier on the list worked only nine hours of overtime in the quarter while the carrier at the other extreme worked 83.38 overtime hours during that same period. The union sought compensation for every carrier who worked less than the median number of overtime hours. He goes on to state, Therefore, the parties agreed to submit the cases to national arbitration solely for resolution on a single issue, which they have stipulated as, Does the following statement represent a correct interpretation of the contract? The number of opportunities offered, not hours worked, is the criterion to determine equitable distribution of overtime to employees on the overtime desired list. The parties also agreed that after resolving this single issue, the arbitrator is to remand this case, these cases back to the parties for further factual exploration and consideration. He goes on then to state Article 8.5.2.C. The only difference in this one is C, like I said prior, used to be updated quarterly and now is required for them to post and update weekly. The union argues that basic standard in the contract is equitability, which means justice and fairness. Moreover, subparagraph C of Article 8.5.C.2 specifically refers to both hours worked and opportunities offered. The service claims that the language of the agreement is unambiguous and only requires it to distribute overtime opportunities equitably without any consideration of hours worked. Moreover, it contends that it cannot distribute available overtime hours evenly because of wide fluctuations in delivery needs and personnel availability. Also, considerably flexibility of assignment works to the benefit of both the service and the carriers. So here they are supposed to make every effort and they're complaining. What the hell do these individuals have to complain about? The biggest, the biggest fear that they have in their entire workday is a wheel may blow out on their chair. But yet they can't do the basic of things and distribute overtime fairly. Arbitrator Bernstein goes on to give some great examples here in a second. But it goes on, the service claims that subsection C of Article 8.5.C.2 is intended merely to produce information and not to affect the clear criterion in subsection B. Those are the positions of the two parties. We're sitting here saying not only is the opportunities should be distributed equitably, but the hours should also be distributed equitably too. While the service is arguing that it's just the opportunities, that there's too much going on to even be able to keep up with the hours. They've been given so many tools at their disposal, but they still can't utilize them to help do the basic necessities of their job by making every effort. Don't forget that sentence that they will make every effort to distribute opportunities equitably. In his discussion, the arbitrator agrees with the union that the number of the opportunities offered 
should not be the principal criterion to determine the correctness of the distribution of overtime to the employees on the overtime desired list. So right out of the gate, he shoots their shit down. He says, absolutely, I believe the union. They're, I mean, it, like I said a minute ago, and he says it in here in his decision, how could 10 eight-hour opportunities ever be looked at in fairness as 10 one-hour opportunities? It will never be. He states, first of all, although the service is correct in noting that the section talks only of the distribution of overtime opportunities, the goal that that section mandates is equitable distribution of those opportunities, and not as the service seems to contend, the equal distribution. There is a significant difference between the two phrases. Equal is objective and precise, while equitable is subjective and indeterminate. In other words, the parties who drafted the relevant contractual language went to great lengths to select a rather vague standard which was to distribute overtime fairly. That leads to the question which is to whom the distribution should be fair. The arbitrator concludes that the parties intended that the distribution should be fair to the carriers on the overtime list without regard to the service. The service would appear to have no particular interest in how the overtime is distributed so long as competent carriers can be found to do the work. It should matter not to management unless it is trying to play favorites. He puts that in parentheses because that is one of the things that we always see is the, the, the favorite in the bunch. You know, the kiss ass is always getting all the overtime, the one working deals, the one trying to do everything for management, always getting all the overtime while the other carriers are getting shaded and not getting any overtime opportunities or hours. He already recognizes unless management is trying to play favorites. It should not matter to management whether one employee does it all or if overtime is split among many. It is only the individual carriers on the list who are directly concerned with how overtime is distributed. Therefore, the contract must be construed as setting forth as the goal to which the service should strive in distributing overtime opportunities that it should make every effort to make that distribution appear to be fair from the standpoint of the carriers who appear on the list. That list again. We want a good overtime sign-up sheet identifying each individual that is signed up for that quarter desiring overtime. Okay? This leads to the next question, which is what distribution of overtime hours would be fairest to these carriers? To answer that question, the arbitrator asked himself why the carriers placed their names on the overtime desired list in the first place. And I'll summarize the next portion. Obviously, if we put our name on the overtime desired list to make some money. We sure didn't put our name on the overtime desired list to walk more miles or to hang out longer away from our family or from our friends or just to see more routes. We put our name on the list because we want to fatten that check a little bit, right? We want to bring home some more money. That's why we put our name on the list and we expect that pot of money to be distributed equally. The fairest way to distribute a pot of gold is to cut it equally amongst the individuals. The ultimate resolution of the question posed is relatively straightforward. Under Article 8.4a, overtime pay is earned on the basis of hours worked. Therefore, if the hours of overtime worked or offered are divided equally, the resulting pay earned or available to be earned should also be substantially equal. 
On the other hand, there is no substantial correlation between relative number of overtime opportunities offered and overtime compensation. Here again, it states what I was telling you. One carrier could have gotten 10 8-hour overtime opportunities, while another was awarded 10 1-hour assignments. The first carrier would have been able to earn 8 times as much as the second. All other things being equal, no one other than the first carrier would regard the result as fair or equitable. This conclusion also provides a possible explanation for Article 8.5.C.2.C. That section sets out a procedure to check on the manner in which the service is actually distributing overtime to make sure that the service is trying to be equitable. If the posted evidence shows hours worked to be drastically uneven and the disparity is not explainable in terms of opportunities offered but rejected, which would also be posted, that information would presumably pressure the service to explain the disparity. Perhaps if the difference could not be justified, the service might have to undertake corrective action in the next quarter. Obviously, as the union argues, if hours worked are irrelevant to appraising the equitability of the overtime distribution, the parties who drafted the agreement would not have included the specific reference to it its mandatory posting section. The arbitrator has read all the arbitration decisions offered by the parties. He remains convinced that the reasoning set forth above which is different from that used by the regional arbitrators who came out with the same result, is the most reasonable way to answer the issue posed. The arbitrator holds that it is not a correct interpretation of Article 8.5.C.2.C to conclude that the number of opportunities offered, not hours worked, is the criterion to determine equitable distribution of overtime to employees on the overtime desired list. So that is why when we're investigating quarterly overtime grievances, we're looking for two things. We're looking for the total amount of hours each employee worked, and we're looking for the total number of opportunities each individual employee worked. And then we'll check the average of that. Now, what you need to understand is to be equitable is equitable with the average. You may have an individual in your station, let's say, ends up with 200 hours of overtime, while another individual only has 100. The remedy is not to bring the 100 individual up to 200. It would be to bring that individual up to 150, because 300 divided by 2 would be 150. That would be the average, the median, of what he should have been at. They should have distributed more equally where both of them were at 150 instead of one individual being at 200 and one individual being at 100. Okay, so that's what we're trying to get. That person should be, everybody should be at that median, at that average. So now we know the playbook. We got the provisions. We understand what we're supposed to be trying to investigate and evidence. So we got to get started in our grievance, right? We got to get going. Now, December 31st will be the end of the quarter. That means January 1st is day one for you to get started investigating your grievance. You have 14 days to get your information, to be able to identify the violation, and to file the grievance within 14 days. Okay, You cannot grieve a quarterly until the end of a quarter. 
So right at the end of the I always recommend every individual, and it's funny because a lot of my stewards do email, and so I see on the, the first day the quarter ended, I get CC'd on emails across the city uh, requesting our pretty much um, stipulated information request that I'm going to share with you. Again, information request, this is not something that is all you'll need. It's not saying that you need more. It's not saying you need less. This is just what we start with, and we start indicating and investigating our grievance with this information here. So we're going to get our information request. We're going to submit this on the first day after the quarter to allow as much time for us to investigate this grievance. They can be tedious. They can be time-consuming. Obviously, it's going to depend on how many letter carriers you have on your overtime desired list, how big your station is. Uh, in my installation, we have uh, the biggest station is a level 22, and the smallest station is a level 20. So a lot of you individuals out there have much bigger stations, you know. So obviously, you know, you, you how much time you need is going to be indicative upon how many letter carriers you have on the overtime desired list. Uh, I asked Jeremy to post some things on the website again. Major shout out to my man Jeremy. Uh, always doing an incredible job the website i go to it all the time when i'm preparing case files it's a quick resource i still listen to episodes every week delivering mail and just what an unbelievable resource that we have right there amongst other resources but you know again jeremy has done a phenomenal job i always want to give him lots of praise and i also want to tell him i appreciate all the ass he's kicking for letter carriers uh, during this route evaluation process, he has been uh, a, a thorn in their side as far as making sure that a letter carrier is not getting robbed from through this process. He has been uh, on the forefront of that fight. So we appreciate everything that he's doing. Great job with the website. He's posted some things. I want to go over the information request. First thing you're going to ask for, and I really didn't stipulate, I guess we can use uh, for entertainment purpose we'll use the first quarter i mean we'll use the fourth quarter of 2022 for this episode purpose the first thing i'm going to ask for is the tax eers that's the employee everything report and i'm going to ask for all carriers and ccas you may bring it down to all uh, letter carriers on the overtime desired list I'm not going to get into the back and forth with management of who and who is not on the overtime desired list. I'm just going to ask for every carrier and CCA in my station. Why? Because I'm looking at the quarterly overtime grievance. I might also see in that investigation some other things that I was unaware of going on, like manipulating clock rings, inaccurate time codes, things of that nature that we have definitely found in our clock rings doing quarterly overtime grievances and took that matter forward as well Um, that might be possible another episode in the future i don't mind coming back and doing that but we've definitely got experience in my installation with management manipulating clock rings using inaccurate time codes time codes that are going to negatively affect our unit because the hours are not being allocated to actual work performing hours so uh, again that gives me an opportunity there to check what the hell management's doing sitting there at the keyboard that I was unaware of. So we're going to ask for the tax EERs for all carriers and CCAs for the fourth quarter of 2022, October, November, and December for whatever station. I'm going to ask management for an updated 
overtime sign-up sheet for the fourth quarter, 2022, October, November, December, at my station. And when they give you this overtime sign-up sheet and it's blank, or not every carrier is indicated with their preference, tell them I need an updated one. I need one that indicates everybody's performance, I mean, a preference. And if they say, well, you know, that carrier's so well, let's go to that carrier. Go over to the carrier. Supervisor Joe said you were work assignment only, Fred. Yeah, that's right. Okay, well, let's, if you don't mind, let's go ahead and indicate that because I need an updated overtime sign-up sheet. I'm also going to request any documentation submitted by a letter carrier removing their names from the overtime desired list in the fourth quarter of 2022 at my station. I need this documentation because the only way I can be removed from the overtime desired list is if I submit in writing to management that I would like to remove my name from the overtime desired list, no longer desiring any overtime, going back to a non-ODL list. Okay, You can only sign up for two lists, overtime desired list, work assignment only list. If you remove your name from that list, you would go down to a non-ODL status, and that becomes effective the next day. So tomorrow if I go in and they piss me off and I think I'm going to get them and I'm going to put down a piece of paper and say, take me off the damn list, it doesn't become effective till Friday. You're still scheduled for overtime tomorrow. But anyways, I want all this documentation to be able to evidence if a carrier removed their name from the overtime desired list during the course of the quarter because that individual would not be, be able to made equitable at the end of the quarter. At the end of the quarter, we're trying to make equitable the individuals on the overtime desired list. Then I'm going to ask for any documentation a letter carrier refused overtime during the fourth quarter of 2022 at my station. Management is responsible for documenting overtime refusals. Okay, I'm not going to do management's job for them but I'm already starting to think ahead of what management's arguments may be at informal or formal. And so many times they say, well, so-and-so, you know, refused, you know, he refused all these days. He didn't want, well, I need the documentation that supports that. You saying it doesn't mean anything to me. I want documentation that an individual actually refused the overtime and didn't want the overtime, didn't desire it that day. So I want that documentation as well. And then last, number five, I'm going to request the OT admin detail report for the fourth quarter of 2022 at my station. And the OT admin tool is management's tool. It's what they're supposed to use to keep up with overtime opportunities and hours. The Postal Service has wasted a lot of money in OT admin. It may work in some parts of the country terrific. I don't know. It has been astronomical failure in Nashville. They have never been able to utilize it correctly because it's user entry. And that key word is user because the user doesn't know how to use it. And they don't do training on it. So they don't keep up with it. But it's their responsibility to make every effort to distribute it fairly. And they have a tool at their disposal. So I want to get a hold of it to see what kind of numbers are on it for kicks and giggles. I want to see what they came up with. And I have used it time and time again to show that management hasn't made remotely any effort to distribute these things. And a lot of times I've been able to show 
that they're not even inputting the data correctly in here. So anything that I can show that management has miserably failed their obligation, I know I'm going to support my burden. I know the clock rings are clock rings, right? Data's data. I'm going to get my hours. I'm going to get my opportunities. But in my mind, I'm thinking what is management going to be using? What are their arguments? You always should be playing devil's advocate. Number one, first and foremost, we should be supporting our burden, right? That's a contract case. It's a requirement. We have to. But in the meantime, I'm thinking what's management going to argue? And I want to combat it. I want to hit it. I want to go ahead and cut their legs off and get rid of those arguments for them. Limit those arguments. That way when, my, when I get to the formal step A table, I got minimal work left. I'll see what they have to offer. I'll look at their contentions. I'll make any adjustments, any amendments right there at the table. If we, if we spend eight hours looking at one grievance, that's fine. We're going to do it right here. You're going to do it in front of me, and I'm going to look at yours right in front of me. But I want to use their tool against them if I can. So I'm going to request it so I can get my hands on it. I recommend requesting this information via email. You say, why? Because this is more than likely going to be well over 100 pages, and to prevent any type of charges being uh, issued against you as far as asking for monies for copies, ask them to email it to you. We'll print off when we need to print off. Okay, so ask them to email this to you. You can put that in the request. The above information uh, can be sent via email to suchandsuch at yahoo.com, and I thank you for your assistance in this matter. That's it. So now we got our information, and it's a bunch, and we're overwhelmed, and we're looking at it like, what in the hell do I do? What has JB got me into? <laughs> this dude said I needed all this, and I'm staring at 632 pages of clock rings. <laughs> it can be overwhelming. It can, but let me give you some uh, encouragement. Do one, trial and error. You know, I mean, that's what it is. This, this is trial and error. The second one will be easier. The third one more easy till it's almost like riding a bicycle it will be minimal effort will go into being able to break these clock rings down and put them on a simple spreadsheet or a graph or a grid however you choose to do it now i asked jeremy to i scanned and sent him just a simple spreadsheet that i have used um and that's what i break it down all the way across from it it, it really is that simple I mean, you're going to go through day by day by day notating the overtime hours that that individual worked. Okay, so you got your information. We got our clock rings. Now, prior to printing them off, let's say you have 600 clock rings. Prior to printing them off, if you have the capability of a laptop or a computer, your branch office has a computer that you can go to if that's where you do your steward time, I would recommend before burning that paper that we see if we actually have a violation. Okay? You know, before we go doing all this work, the first thing we need to do is get our average overtime hours and our average opportunities and see if there was even a violation. Once we prove a violation, once we investigate and indicate that, then we'll start putting our case file together, printing things off, and going forward with our position. If you look at my grid, it is as simple as looking at a clock ring, and I'll use JB for instance. I took the carrier's names off the grid. I just numbered them one, two, three, and four, 
and then this was a smaller station, a level 20 in my installation, but we had Mr. Unlucky. Mr. Unlucky ended up being short at the end of the quarter. But it is as simple as following across there. If you'll see on Friday the 1st, this individual worked 8.91 clicks. And you say, what's a click? Click is how we uh, our, our time is done. We're done in hundreds. So 8 hours and 91 clicks is what this individual worked. When you're looking at a clock ring, and this is very difficult to do just to talk to you, but I asked Jeremy also to post hours codes. You need to be knowledgeable about a clock ring. I've told you in the past, and I believe it's posted on the website, how to analyze a clock ring, and those hour codes are in that, but he also just posted for quick <clears throat> quick reference the actual hour codes. What you're going to see on a clock ring for an individual that worked 8 hours and 91 clicks is you're going to see 0.5200 colon 8 hours and 91. And then right beside that you're going to see 0.53 0.91 clicks. So the total hours they worked was 8 hours and 91 clicks. The overtime was 0.53 91 clicks. So I'm going to take my pencil, or if I'm doing this on a, a computer, I got a grid, I'm going to write down 91 clicks. I'm going to go day by day by day for that individual carrier until I notate every hour of overtime that letter carrier worked in the three months of the quarter. And then I'm going to go to the second individual. And I'm going to notate from the first day of the quarter all the way across to the last day of the quarter every hour that individual worked. Now you say, what if the individual was on leave? What if he had choice vacation plans? He was gone for a week. Well, obviously that individual was not available, right? I mean, he's on vacation. He wasn't available for overtime, so he shouldn't be awarded an opportunity for overtime. So the way I go about it, the way I do it, after I go all the way through each letter carrier from the first day of the quarter to the very last day of the quarter, I add up the total amount of hours each individual worked. So in my example, you'll see in the attachment I gave Jeremy, letter carrier one ended up for this quarter worked 124 hours and 78 clicks of overtime. That was his total number. Letter carrier number two worked 162 hours and 57 clicks of overtime. It keeps going down. Number three, 140 hours and 74 clicks. Number four worked 128 hours and 93 clicks. And then Mr. Unlucky only worked 98 hours and 71 clicks. So we see a discrepancy there in the hours. But it's not just hours. It's overtime hours and overtime opportunities. So we have to check the opportunities as well. Now again, this is how I do it. Might not be how you do it. Might not be how your branch does it. You may find another method. This is the method that I've been using for five years and it's been successful and I haven't went away from it. I also want to point out real quick in tax, when you're looking at these clock rings and you're looking at 600 pages worth, your eyes are going to go crazy. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, everybody out there that's done this is shaking their head. Hell yeah, they burn. <laughs> they need to be bloodshot by the time you're done, <laughs> but they will. You're going to see things. 
make sure you're reading them properly. You know, 056 sick leave sometimes sticks out and you write it down because you just see 056 and, you know, three hours or two, you know, or an hour and you write it down as mistaking that as overtime. Don't do, you know, make sure that you're looking at it correctly. Also, a scheduled day off will throw you for a loop too. Because on a scheduled day off, you may look down and you see 052, eight hours. And you think, well, they didn't work any overtime that day. Well, you have to look beside it because you're going to see 053, eight hours. And if they worked any penalty, you're going to see 043. And you're going to see that penalty time. So on a scheduled day off, it may just show 052, eight hours. But you say, well, they didn't work any overtime. I'll write down zero. Well, no, they actually worked eight hours. It's right beside it at 053. Okay, when you pull clock rings, remember what I'm telling you right here. Look at it, get familiar with it, and in that way, it'll become more familiar with it. Also, if you have uh, Adobe um, on your computer and you pull these clock rings and you're using Adobe to view them, uh, a quick method that I like to use is I control F, control find, you know, and I type in the individual's name, and that way I can, it'll skip to that individual's name all the way through all those clock rings and I don't have to scroll, I don't have to keep looking, I can just constantly be hitting the next button so it goes to that individual and speed things up. So that's a tip as well. If you have that capability, I'm sure, I understand not everybody does, but if you have that capability of viewing your clock rings in Adobe, control F, view those there, can uh, type in the employee's name, uh, it'll go to that person. You can immediately start notating the individual's overtime hours. Click next to get to the next page. And then you hit next again. It will skip all the way to the next pay period and bypass all the carriers in between. So it's very beneficial, very helpful. Sorry, I jumped ahead. But So we're back to the opportunities portion. We've already determined that Mr. Unlucky is below the average because when you add all these total hours up, it came up to 655 hours and 73 clicks. These five individuals worked that quarter. If you divide that by five, you will come up with 131 hours and 15 clicks. That's the median. That's what we're saying Mr. Unlucky's short. I told you earlier, it's not the 162. That's not what we're trying to get Mr. Unlucky up to, the top dog. We're trying to get Mr. Unlucky back to the median, the average in the middle. And the average would have been 131 hours and 15 clicks. So now we need to check the opportunities to make sure he had opportunities to be able to earn that much hours. If he wasn't at work or refused so many hours, there might be an indication or evidence that he wasn't even available for all those opportunities and be a mitigating factor to how much overtime he actually should have uh, earned during the course of the quarter. So if you look back at my grid, and again, this is my grid. There is no one stipulated manner on how to do this. This is what I came up with. This is what was passed down to me, matter of fact, and how I was taught. And this is what I took forward, but I understand it. But if you'll look, when you look from left to right, <clears throat> you'll see the hours. You'll also see notations of NA, that they were not available. They might have refused overtime that day or couldn't work overtime, submitted a leave slip for no overtime, maybe doctor's appointment. Maybe they called out sick. Obviously, an individual that called out sick would not be available for overtime that day. If they had choice vacation plans and took a week off, they would not be available for those days. So they would not have an opportunity for that. 
okay? So, going across from left to right, every time an individual worked overtime was an opportunity. I also argue that if the individual was at work that day, he was available for an overtime opportunity. Management could have gave him overtime that day. It's their responsibility to make every effort. Even I, even though I had a week of choice vacation, that doesn't automatically deduct time from me. It means management should do their damn job and manage and realize that I got some vacation coming up. And when I return, they need to make an, an attempt to try to catch me up for the overtime that I missed. It's their job to make that effort. So if they know in advance and they're doing their responsibilities and managing, they should look and realize that I'm going to need additional opportunities when I return or get them on the front end, realizing that, hey, JB's got some vacation coming up towards the end of the quarter, so let's go ahead and get him to a certain point and then we'll let the other individuals get extra overtime the week he's gone. However they want to do it, they should make some type of effort and manage so when you take that into consideration, if you just simply look at Mr. Unlucky's opportunities, you'll see I notated he had 20, 22 opportunities. That means he was at work or could have worked 22 times that quarter. The remaining days, he was not available. And I go across all the way through that. I hope that makes sense. It's so hard not being visual. But again... You'll see the very first day Mr. Unlucky worked was 8 hours and 40 clicks. That's why it's notated as 40 clicks, but that's also an opportunity. The next day, an opportunity. The next day, opportunity. You see an N.A. on the 6th. Apparently, Mr. Unlucky might have been sick. I don't know the reason, but I know he was not available. You see a zero on that Friday, but other individuals had overtime. Well, that was an opportunity for them to give Mr. Unlucky some overtime. Okay, so he had an opportunity to work. Management just didn't give him the opportunity to do it. So I'm going to do that for each month. It's going to add up. I'm going to look across my grid, my graph, and I'm going to number how I'm going to count how many times that individual could have had overtime opportunities. And then I'm going to notate that out to the side. And just like my hours, after I've done each of the months, all three, I'm going to add those three numbers together. He had 22 in April. 20 in May and 23 in June which tallied up <clears throat> to 65 total opportunities for the month I mean for the quarter to perform overtime and you do that for each carrier you have to have the average so you're going to have to do that math for each letter carrier and you'll see at the end on my grid uh, um, in my summary sheet carrier 1 had 60 opportunities, carrier 2, 65, 3, 66, 4, 66, and Mr. Unlucky had 65. When you add all those together, it was 322 total opportunities that quarter for overtime, and that average came out to be 64.40 opportunities. We'll just say 64. So it was determined that Mr. Unlucky met the equal amount of opportunities, but did not get the equal amount of overtime hours. We have evidence, we have a legitimate grievance that the opportunities was offered, but the overtime hours were not distributed equally. Like Arbitrator Bernstein said, that pot of money was not cut up fairly, and management's responsibility is to do so. 
So we determined that Mr. Unlucky was 32 hours and 44 clicks short of the average for the quarter. And we're going to ask for that. So now that we've done our investigation, we got our grids. Now we're going to start putting our case file together. I know that's extensive when you talk about 600 pages of clock rings. Yours may only be 200. Some places, I'm sure, are 17, 1800. I got one station that they, there's the level 22 station has a shit ton of carriers on the list, and I cringe when I get quarterlies from them. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not a quarterly fan. I mean, it's just a lot to do because two things. I'm very, uh, I don't want to say OCD, but I think it's my responsibility to as well. Stewards send me quarterlies, but it's my due diligence to check every single number because I'm responsible once I send it forward out of my hands that it is absolute. So even though the steward has done all this work and writing down and gridding out this overtime, I still have to spend almost equally amount of time, which is not a problem, but it just gets tedious. And when you got 16 stations and all of a sudden your desk, you come in, it's quarterly time, and you look and you got six, seven, eight quarterlies, you're like, well, there goes the week. Uh, you're going to be busy. And so, you know, it sometimes uh, <laughs> sometimes it's, it's more than you want to chew into, but we ain't going to sidestep it, i tell you that. So now you need to start building your case file. We got to start getting our contentions ready. We got to start preparing this case, whether it's informal for a discussion or if this is for formal lay, we need a full written state of facts and contentions that we're going to rely upon uh, in our case. Nevertheless, we're going to start building that. And so we're going to go over that. I also had Jeremy put up a set of my contentions. Nothing crazy. It's just how I do business. It's my arguments. It may not be, uh, you may have more arguments. And if you've been successful, awesome. Awesome. Again, this was trying to be a quarterly 101 situation to help you guys be able to get familiar with this. When it comes to the clock rings, for years, I put them on a CD. I just burned them to a CD, I put them in the file, and I sent it to the DRT if we didn't agree. Until about six months ago, the DRT, I was notified that the disc was either corrupted or something had happened to it, management, <clears throat> but they could not open it. Therefore, they couldn't verify my calculations with the tax employee everything report that was saved on the CD. I said, okay, it'll never happen again. So I print them off, you know, but I have that luxury from a big branch. We have the printer, we have the paper. That might not be you. You might want to burn them to a CD. I'm just telling you my story in case the event, it might happen to you. I'm not saying management did something malicious to my CD. Just awful odd that it all of a sudden happened. Nevertheless, I'm going to print them off because it won't be on me the second time. So anyhow, if you have to go to Staples, have them print them off. Whatever you got to do, do whatever you can to put your case file together, what you feel comfortable with. So what's going to be our issue statement in our grievance. Well, the issue statement I used for the grid that I posted, or Jeremy posted, was for actually the second quarter of 2022 at a particular station. But the issue statement I used was, did management violate Article 8 and 19 of the National Agreement when they failed to maintain a, an equitable distribution of the overtime opportunities 
and hours during the second quarter of 2022, April, May, and June? If so, what is the appropriate remedy? Now, if you have history at this station or your installation where management has already been instructed to cease and desist, failing to maintain an equitable distribution, you're going to want to raise that issue as well because they are failing to comply with previous resolutions instructing them to cease and desist this managerial style. So in this particular case, I did have previous resolutions in my installation and this particular station, so I wanted to go ahead and add that issue statement. If this is not uh, reoccurring or if this is the first time you've done a quarterly, then the first issue statement will be sufficient. But once you establish resolutions and they're not complying with those cease and desist instructions, you're definitely going to want to apply a second issue statement. And in this case, I used in Management Violate, Article 41, 15, Section 3A, and the Postal Policy M-01517 via Article 19 of the National Agreement by failing to comply with grievance settlements for the Nashville installation concerning their continued violations of Article 8 by failing to maintain an equitable distribution of overtime opportunities and hours in the Nashville installation. If so, what is the appropriate remedy? That's going to cover your compliance portion. They're not complying with what they've been instructed to do. So you got two issue statements. We're going to need two answers in our remedy. So briefly going through the contentions, I started off with page 3-1 of the NALC USPS Joint Contract Administration Manual states the following. And I believe Corey touched on this in a previous episode, that management is so quick. Article 3. Management's right to manage. We have the right to manage. We have the right to distribute how we feel is fair and how we determine to distribute over time because it's our right to manage. That's always going to be their argument. They always fail to skip down past that block like he had stated in that episode to read what the hell that uh, that article's referencing. Because if they would, it would state while postal management has the right to manage the postal service, it must, must act in accordance with applicable laws, regulations, contract provisions, arbitration awards, letters of agreement, and memoranda. Consequently, many of the management rights enumerated in Article 3 are limited by contract provisions. So in essence, it's like giving a brand new supervisor, a manager, an old school supervisor, whatever. You know, here's your hat. It says boss. That's what they think. I'm the boss. But this limits their rights to just manage at will. They have to, they must act in accordance. So I started my contentions off that they did not. I contended that management not only has the right to manage, but more so a requirement to manage within the provisions of our national agreement and consistent with the applicable laws and regulations. Management's arbitrary decision to not distribute that overtime equitably is inconsistent with the terms of the national agreement and therefore violates the rights of the overtime desired list carriers. In this grievance, management did not comply with Article 8.5.C.2 of the national agreement. So they did not act in accordance. So while they have the right to manage, they have to act in accordance with our contract provisions and they failed to do so. In essence, they violated Article 3. I go on in my contentions that in this particular case, the case file contains the employee everything report for the station, the overtime desired list carriers for the second quarter of 2022. Very simply, the documentation contained in this grievance 
case file shows the overtime for the quarter was distributed as followed. I put down the total, 655 hours and seven, uh, 73 clicks was worked and was divided by five carriers, equaling 131 hours and 15 clicks. That would have been the average for the overtime desired list for that quarter. I went on to list that 322 total opportunities divided by five carriers would have equaled 64.40 days that the carriers on the overtime desired list average being available to work overtime. Then I start Mr. Unlucky's contention. The documentation contained in this grievance file shows that carrier Mr. Unlucky was available 65 days during the quarter. The average overtime for the quarter was 131 hours and 15 clicks. Below that, overtime hours Mr. Unlucky worked was 98 hours and 71 clicks. The difference, or the hours short, was 32.44 clicks. Simple contention that the union contends that letter carrier M. Unlucky was short 32 hours and 44 clicks from the average quarterly overtime hours. Just a simple subtraction problem, people. The average, the overtime hours Mr. Unlucky worked, and the hours they were short. Because he was short the 32 hours and 44 clicks from the average overtime for the quarter. I go on to list the contractual provisions that we read earlier in the JCAM as far as 8.5.C.2. In my contentions, I listed the M document, 1886, that is now incorporated into our JCAM as far as overtime opportunity that is on or off the employee's own route will be considered. Not just that pesky-ass overtime on another assignment, that all overtime work is considered. I go on to make my contention as far as the original language of Article 8.5.C.2 only at this time identified opportunities and not hours. But in paragraph 2, National Arbitrator Bernstein ruled that in determined equitable distribution of overtime, the number of hours of overtime as well as the number of opportunities for overtime must be considered. The grievance case file can includes a copy of National Arbitrator Bernstein's award, and I put that arbitration award in every file, changing the understanding of equitability from the original thought of opportunities only to opportunities and hours. Page 5 of his decision, the arbitrator understands the reason carriers place their names on the overtime desired list, and that reason is to earn extra money. Page 6 gives an illustration of unspare, uh, I mean unfair and despair equitability of overtime. We talked about that. 10 eight-hour opportunities versus 10 one-hour opportunities. Only the guy getting the 80 hours would ever consider anything fair. While everybody else is looking at him like, well, you peace. You can review these contentions. They go on to go through some other provisions. Now, overtime and annual leave or sick. You know, management always wanted to throw up in my face, well, you know, the carrier had annual leave uh, the day before his scheduled off day, so therefore we couldn't use him on his scheduled off day. Or that, you know, JB called out sick on Friday and his scheduled day off Saturday, so, you know, we couldn't use him on Saturday. Well, there's an M document out there that I come across that I include in my contentions, and I even gave it to Jeremy to post, but I think it, it is combative to their argument. Because M document 00124 states, 
Local management will in the future, whenever possible, contact the employee who were on sick leave or annual leave the day prior to their non-scheduled day when overtime duties are available for those employees. So I contend that, and I challenge management to provide where they actually tried to contact these individuals. Don't tell me that they couldn't have an opportunity for overtime because they were on annual or sick the day prior to their non-scheduled day, but you didn't fulfill any obligation to try to ask them if they would like to work overtime. You just want me to automatically deduct from that employee. I'm not going to automatically deduct from the employee because you haven't evidenced or proven that they were not available. They just were simply on annual leave or sick leave the day prior. So you're not going to... Uh, persuade me to deduct an opportunity or hours from the employee because they were on sick leave or annual leave the day prior. So that M document's powerful to combat their argument as far as overtime and annual leave. Um, there are exceptional situations. We may excuse ourselves from mandatory overtime. The JCAM goes into this detail, exceptional situations. And, this is, and it'll just simply state that this language is intended to serve as a guideline for local management in excusing employees from overtime work because of exceptional situations. Consequently, the four examples listed in the parentheses are illustrative of these kinds of cases to which management should give full consideration in excusing employees from overtime. All right. Arbitrator Sylvester Garrett held in his case that reflects an intent to confer relatively broad discretion on local management to excuse employees from overtime work for any one of the number of legitimate reasons based on equity. So, again, management must make every effort. If we have exceptional situations that arise during the course of the quarter, then management should make sure that later in the quarter or previously in the quarter, they're giving us opportunities to perform overtime to, for equitability purposes. It's their job to keep up with it. That's why they're also required to post it weekly so we can review it. Doesn't mean we agree with it, but at least maybe it could be a conversation piece as in, look, your own documentation is showing uh, disparity. Or I see that you've notated an individual has declined opportunities. I'm going to talk to that individual and see if that's actually so. If I look up there and I see the report says uh, JB declined five um, overtime opportunities, well, I'm, I'm going to take that to task. I haven't declined anything. So i finish up my contentions uh, as far as the equitability portion that, you know, I contend that this gives the overtime desireless carriers the right to request an exception to working overtime. The union agrees there may be many types of exceptional situations within reason and without harming the non-ODL carriers that may warrant the approval of excusing overtime. Management still has that obligation of documenting those requests, and that request must come from the carrier and not generated by management in order to circumvent the equitability clause in Article 8.5.C.2 of the National Agreement. Additionally, the union contends that if, a, if an overtime desired list carrier was on leave during the quarter, it does not make them unavailable for additional overtime after they return from leave or from management contacting employees while on leave to offer overtime duties on their non-scheduled day to maintain that equitability. I'm taking them to task. I'm trying to cut off their arguments. The union contends if management would have offered 
additional hours each day to an overtime desireless carrier when they return from leave, then those hours could have been made up throughout the quarter in which that carrier wasn't on leave or working overtime. I go on to finalize it by the union contends management has an obligation to make every effort to ensure equitability among the overtime desired list carriers over the course of the entire quarter through proper scheduling and monitoring leave request and usage. Meaning they got to do something. It just simply means they have to manage. They are responsible at the end of the day. I don't want to hear all the crying and complaining. And like I tell my counterpart, I'm not in I'm only in one station out of 16. I can only monitor what's going on in my station. Once the case file from another station comes to my desk, it is data driven. If I've requested these documents that we talked about earlier as far as them removing themselves from the ODL or refusing overtime and the case file is devoid of those things, the data is the data. Clock rings are data driven. And so is quarterly equitability grievances. They're data-driven. Unless they provide mitigating circumstances, it is what it is. The union contends the overtime desired list carriers utilizing leave in conjunction with their non-scheduled day doesn't forfeit their right to be made equitable for opportunities and hours in accordance with Article 8.5.2c. As far as my second issue statement, I put in contentions. You're more more than welcome to review those. Use those if they fit your criteria, if they're beneficial to you. Uh, I'm not going to read every one of those, but that's that is the gist of quarterly equitability. Hours and opportunities. We've got the provisions, we got the blueprint, the guidelines that must be followed. Like I said, it's data driven. Clock rings are clock rings. If JB's on the overtime desired list and you're investigating a quarterly equitability grievance for me, what you're going to do is you're going to look at every day that I worked and you're going to notate for the entire quarter every hour I worked, every overtime hour. And then you're going to add that up. And you're going to do that for each overtime desired list carrier. And then you're going to add those up and get an average. And then you're going to determine the opportunities and you're going to add all those up, and you're going to get that average. And those two things must be equitably distributed. So now we're going to talk about remedy. Remedy is discussed in our JCAM on page 8-12. It talks about remedies and how National Arbitrator Howard Gamzer ruled that the Postal Service must pay employees deprived of equitable opportunities for the overtime hours they did not work only if management's failure to comply with its contractual obligations under Article 8.5.C.2 shows, here's the criteria we're going to want to evidence, a willful disregard or defiance of the contractual provision, a deliberate attempt to grant disparate or favorite treatment to an employee or group of employees, or caused a situation in which the equalizing opportunity could not be afforded within the next quarter. In all other cases, Arbitrator Gamzer held the proper remedy is to provide an equalizing opportunity in the next immediate quarter or pay a compensatory monetary award if this is not done. 99% of the time, management's going to want to do a makeup. That's their quickest 
ultimate go-to. Well, we'll make him up. They're going to bludgeon the hell out of that guy. You know, it's, it's it's my opinion if an individual is 30-something hours short, we have missed that opportunity. Number one, I, I feel like it falls within the criteria that arbitrator Gamzer has described. Jeremy's going to post this arbitration award on the website, and I encourage you to read it. You're going to see both positions of each party and what they argue. Obviously, we were arguing extensively that we want monetary compensation when we evidence at the end of the quarter that an individual was not equal when hours and opportunities were distributed. We want that individual to be paid. The service was arguing extensively that they want to do a makeup. Both parties had resolutions supporting their position. And then this arbitration award, if you'll read it, it will also be applicable for monetary awards. So with that being said, without getting too um, long-winded and, and read this award, I do want you to go and read it yourself. But on page five of this award, you'll notice immediately when it starts the Postal Service's position, their first argument is the Postal Service argued that in the absence of an express provision in the agreement providing for monetary damages, the arbitrator does not have inherent or implied authority to provide for such damages. For him to do so, according to the Postal Service, would be to violate the provisions of Article 15, Section 3, which provides that the agreement may not be altered, amended, or modified by an arbitrator. If anybody's been in a hearing for monetary award, that's the go-to. That's the go-to. That's ultimately the first thing out of management's mouth is the arbitrator does not have the inherent authority to grant such a remedy. And arbitrator Gamzer shoots their shit down immediately. We ask for monetary awards for things that are not specified in our agreement. There is no specified remedy for equitability issues. There is no specified remedy for all things in our agreement. Uh, Arbitrator Gamzer talks about holiday violations. He talks about non-bargaining unit employees doing bargaining unit work. There's no specified remedy. But monetary awards and damages can be, or not damages, but monetary awards and payments can be granted, and the arbitrator has that inherent authority as well. Matter of fact, on page, and we go to page seven where the arbitrator Gamzer opens up his discussion shooting their argument completely out of the water. And he states, it is necessary at the outset of this to dispose of one threshold contention raised by the employer. It was contended that the agreement provides in Article 15 that the arbitrator has no authority to add to, subtract from, or modify the terms of the agreement, so it does. That restriction upon the jurisdiction of the arbitrator must be scrupulously observed. However, to provide for an appropriate remedy for breaches of the terms of an agreement, even where no specific provision defining the nature of such remedy is to be found, in the agreement certainly is found within the inherent powers of the arbitrator. No lengthy citations or discussions of the nature of the dispute resolution process which these parties have mutually agreed to is necessary to support such a conclusion. Before the arbitrator in this proceeding is the question of whether the parties have agreed upon a remedy to provide for breaches of the employer's obligation under Article 8, Section 5C2, or in the event they have not done so, what is the appropriate remedy for such a breach? So pretty much he's telling them right there, I got all the power I'm going to need because there is no specified remedy and he has the authority to grant such monetary award. 
he goes on to spell out what's listed in the JCAM. So, as a steward, as a representative at Informal or Formal, what are we trying to evidence? We're trying to evidence one of the things arbitrator Gamzer identified is going to be the criteria of either a makeup or a monetary award. Now, if I have previous resolutions where we're just doing monetary, 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 that's what I'm rolling with as far as the next case. I'm not trying to back down or go backwards. If we've already agreed on numerous occasions that a monetary payment is necessary and that's kind of the uh, stipulated remedy that we're using, well, I'm not going to go backwards. If I come across a case where it's an individual's four or five hours short and it might be the first time in, in this particular station or it might be the first time in your station it's going to be hard to show that four or five hours short fits the criteria that arbitrator Gamzer gave. And arbitrator Gamzer said a makeup opportunity would be more sufficient in that particular situation because the four things that he listed specifically in his award was, again, it was found in this case under the review that the failure to comply with Section 85C2 was not caused by granting such overtime to a person outside the eligible pool a willful disregard or defiance of the contractual provision, a deliberate attempt to grant disparate or favorite treatment to an employee or group of employees, or caused a situation when the equalizing opportunity could not be afforded within the next quarter. So when I'm requesting a remedy, I'm trying to fit it in one of those criterions that he listed. Okay, so keep that in mind when you're thinking about remedy. It specifically spells it out on 8-12 what we need to be formulating our remedy and the criteria of one of these particular subjects. So if we can show disparate treatment, we can show favoritism, that's great. If we show a complete disregard or an inability to make up that opportunity. As the formal step A, I'm the second step. These grievances, sometimes uh, a steward may, let's say he did a time limit extension and ended up, let's say, this upcoming quarter, okay? So January 1st starts the investigation period. Let's say he requested an extension till the 21st. They met on it, didn't agree, they get it to me. You know, it's sitting, I have 16 stations, so I get relatively 15 to 25 grievances a week. Uh, it may be about number 30, 35. So short story long, it may be the middle of February, end of February, before I meet on, with my formal A counterpart on it. Well, there's not going to be an opportunity in that quarter for that individual to be equalized. So well, I'm going to argue that he just go ahead and be compensated because management should have probably agreed to a makeup opportunity prior at the informal step A level, and then that may be an appropriate there. Let's finish this up, people. <clears throat> I got two resolutions. And um, one for a makeup and one for a monetary payment. And these are formal step A resolutions. But uh, I had my issue statement. Did management violate Article 8 and 19 of the National Agreement when they failed to maintain an equitable distribution of the overtime hours and opportunities during said quarter? Right? The formal A parties agreed to the following remedy. Upon review of the quarter, the quarter that you reviewed of 2000, whatever, Equitability reports, the below employees shall be provided equalizing opportunity overtime opportunities for the hours indicated. 
These makeup opportunities shall be provided during the next quarter. So whatever quarter number that would be, 2000 whatever. If these equalizing opportunities are not made up during that quarter, appropriate monetary compensation will be provided. So we've indicated they're going to get a makeup opportunity, but we've also indicated that if they do not get that makeup opportunity, they're going to get compensated with a monetary award. A resolution that I use for monetary payments, simply the formal parties agree management violated Article 8 and 15 of the National Agreement when failing to maintain an equitable distribution of overtime hours and opportunities. Management shall cease and desist violating Articles 8 and 15 of the National Agreement as well as Postal Policy Letter M-01517. Management will compensate the following carriers a one-time lump sum payment minus standard deductions. And you list out your employee, the amount to the right. You're always going to want to button up these payments. You want to make sure management has a responsibility not only to pay the individual, but provide proof of that payment to you. That way we, we lock the door, we throw the key inside, and shut it. That way we're done. And all payments associated with this case will be processed as soon as administratively possible, but no later than seven days from the decision, and proof slash receipt will be provided to formal A representative JB within that time at email jb at yahoo.com so that's going to make sure not only are they going to pay them they're going to provide me proof that they paid them and i can put this resolution behind me and be done with it all right two hours quicker than some longer than i thought would be uh, guys again i hope that's beneficial I hope that's beneficial. That's something that you can utilize. It's very hard to uh, describe how to evidence or investigate a quarterly overtime grievance uh, sitting on a squawk box, you know. But I can't tell you how appreciative I am of the opportunity. So I hope that the the person out there that's you know wanting to gain knowledge about investigating quarterlies that this was beneficial to him. That this helps that person get started. And this is what this is always about to me. I know it's what it's about to Corey. It's why he started it. That's why he's asked me to come on here. Um, I, I'm not the most gifted educator or teacher, but I am willing to help if it's going to help someone. And again, um, I want to thank everybody, the motivation that y'all have given me. I want to wish everybody a, a Merry Christmas again. And appreciate y'all listening to me. Uh, my dear friend will be deeply missed. Um, but I can't thank y'all enough. And I want to say <clears throat> y'all need to know that Corey Walton has a heart as big as the moon for letter carriers. Not only does he have a heart as big as the moon for letter carriers, he's got a foot as big as Paul Bunyan for management when it comes to management screwing with a letter carrier. Um, he will take them to task. And he has over and over. But he has helped me tremendously. He has helped numerous people tremendously. And I owe a lot to him for what he's given me. And that's why I feel the need to pay it forward to other individuals. So anybody that ever needs anything, I will do my best. I can't swear I've gotten to every single email, but I have done my absolute honest best to get back to y'all. So listen, 
JB says, Merry Christmas. He loves y'all. He appreciates you. Couldn't be more proud to be a letter carrier. I couldn't be more proud to be an NALC representative. And I look so much forward to 2023 and what all it has to offer and to keep on keeping on kicking management's ass and holding them accountable. And like my good friend Brad said, you keep your foot on their throat and you keep them down when you got them down. And you don't let them son of a bitches ever get back up. And that's how I feel when it comes to representing letter carriers and management has done something adversely against that person is I want to put my foot on them. I want to hold them down. I want to keep them down until they're in submission and quit messing with my brothers and sisters. So Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. I look forward to the next episode in 2023. Until then, God bless y'all. All right, there you have it. The man himself, JB. Uh, got a heart of gold, man. Dude loves City Letter Carriers and uh, loves being about the business <laughs> of representing them. And he's second to none to me. Man's, uh, he knows his stuff. Um, that'll be the last episode of the year. Um, I'll be back the beginning of next year, and we're going to do our Article 8 series, and that's going to take a long time. That may lead up into the summer. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's going to be long. Article 8 is the most confusing article to me. And so we're going we're gonna to take it step by step. Article 8. All right. We're going to get it down pat. We're going to be experts at it. Then I'm going to do um, limited and light duty. What's the difference between the two? And what is management's obligation under both of those? Limited and light duty. Then we're going to do OWCP. We're going to do FMLA. So next year is going to be the complicated ones, all right? But we're going to get them down pat. That way you don't ever have any questions about it. Um, <clears throat> but I'm a, I'm a Christmas junkie. It's my time of the year. Uh, I know some of y'all may not celebrate Christmas, don't recognize Christmas, but, but I do. And it's, it's my jam, and I love it. So with working late hours uh, like today, um, Worked from 6 in the morning, got off about 7 o'clock, and that's been my schedule for the week uh, since December 1. So Sundays are the only time that I have with family and to go shopping. And so uh, just a couple more weeks until Christmas. So this will be the last episode of the year, and so that means a couple of weeks. Uh, So y'all have a fantastic rest of the year. I hope you all have a fantastic holiday season. If you celebrate Christmas, you all have a Merry Christmas. If you don't, uh, you all enjoy yourselves anyway. And uh, I love each and every one of you. I do. I've had a blast this year with you all. We've gone through a lot of stuff, man, a lot of stuff this year. And uh, I've had an absolute joy uh, talking with you all, doing contentions with you watching your victories you know we have uh, gone over some some losses uh, what could we have done different uh, but that's part of the game that's just part of the game so it's been an absolute joy to get to know some of y'all this year and uh, next year is going to be even bigger and better how's that all right so uh, from me to y'all have a fantastic holiday season I love y'all and I will talk to y'all next year all right Bye.